can go ahead and have a seat. Just a couple of announcements, a couple of reminders. I'm not gonna cover everything in the bulletin. Take a look at it, there's a lot of stuff upcoming. Just a couple things though, a couple opportunities. If you have ways that you'd like to be involved, there's a, going to be an open mic night on November 11th and that is a chance to share some special music or an instrumental or it could be uh, a testimony or um, something along those lines. So. If you're interested in that, uh, you know, say something to Dakota, myself, Amy, and we are looking forward to that. Uh, also, there's a Creekside Christmas program coming up, uh, much in the same vein that uh, I know we're always looking for people to share uh, musical uh, abilities and other, and other avenues for service, whether it be art or uh, all that kind of stuff. So talk to Debbie Short or Karen Clarkson, I think, if you're interested in that. Those things are in the bulletin. Steve, anything else I need to call out before the Haiti team comes up? All right. So I'm going to ask the Haiti team uh, to come up front. We're just going to hear a quick update from them. They are leaving this week, and uh, we want to commit them in prayer. So, um, Karen, I think that microphone is working up there. If there's anything that you guys want to share a quick update before we do that. Good morning. It's hard to believe that after nine months of planning, preparing, organizing, praying, meetings, um, here we are, ready to uh, leave on Tuesday, Lord willing, for Haiti. We are so very excited, and we are also so very thankful for all of you, our family, our friends, who have supported us with prayer and financially, our fundraising. It's a little more than 12000 which is amazing, and um, I know the Lord will will give us, I'm praying for the Lord to give us wisdom and discernment and how we use those funds that you've entrusted to us. And um, we all have been praying and we're just so thankful for each of you and for the support of this church. In your bulletins, I hope you noticed we do have a little prayer card. You can be praying for us and pictures of each team member. So just wanted you to be aware of that. Anything else? Anybody want to say anything else? <laughs> okay, thank you. And uh, let's pray for them. I'll have you, uh, and uh, if the other elders want to come up, we'll pray for them. Mark, I'll let you take the phone, microphone and, and do that. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for these men and women who are taking time out of their regular lives here in Iowa to invest in your kingdom's work in Haiti. Pray be with them and go before them, bless them, protect them, and Lord, prepare hearts and minds to receive the message of the gospel and that your work would grow strong there. That, um, that we thank you for Jude Guzma as well, our missionary that we support there, and that you would bless him and his ministry. Just, uh, Lord, use this time to be a great blessing in each team member's life. Um, we pray too, Lord, that the people of Haiti would be blessed, be encouraged, um, be built up, built up and rooted in Christ as a result of this ministry. I would commit them to you in Jesus' name, amen. all if you're here worshiping online and if you're here for the first time again I say this every Sunday you try to say it every Sunday there is a um, in the bulletin there is an extra additional flap we'd appreciate it if you would fill that out and uh, I forgot to announce that Sunday school kids you're dismissed right now so the Sunday school kids can make their way to the back and uh, there's an extra flap you want to fill that out and put it in the offering box which is on the welcome table as you uh, enter into the uh, entryway out there That'd be great. We'd have a record of your attendance. We can contact you if that would be good. And then if you have a prayer request or something as part of the congregation, we invite you to uh, fill that out as well. So we're, not, we're not making this just for people who were new. So anybody who has a need or something wants us to be praying about, we'd sure be glad to do that. Um, I'm, uh, I'm playing a little injured this morning, so uh, I'm, I'm not feeling the greatest. So I just wanted to let you know that. So uh, if you feel like I'm being a little aloof or whatever, that's intentional. Uh, I, I don't have, uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, don't have the plague or anything, but I'm just uh, not, uh, not quite up to speed. So I'm kind of trying to have a little bit of a low profile. And so I uh, just want you to know that so you don't think that I'm uh, trying to snub you or anything. Uh, just, uh, I love you too much to um, uh, to share. As uh, one of one of the one of the young people in our uh, young couples small group said, you know, sharing is caring, uh, but in this sense, uh, in this case, no. Uh, so I'm 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 not gonna not gonna share. 
uh, glad that you're worshiping with us. And uh, I just want to remind those people and anybody else who wants to come, we are having a, a get-to-know-you lunch right after the service at about noon we're going to start. So everybody uh, who's signed up and said they would want to come, we're sure anticipating you being there. And if anybody else wants to join, that's fine. Uh, I'm not going to eat, so uh, we'll, uh, or I can just skip it, and uh, we'll, you can eat mine. For uh, I think we'll have plenty, so it's good. We just uh, spent some time singing about some really cool stuff, and uh, I'm just going to pause now and pray as we prepare to worship uh, our great God through the study of his word. Father in heaven, you are a great God who sent your son that we might have life, and not just that we might have life, but that we might have it abundantly. And I pray now that as you work in our hearts uh, through the study of your word, uh, that you would speak to each of us. I ask that you'd continue to take the truths that are so rich in this text and continue to wash them over my soul and our souls, that you'd drive them into our hearts, that they might be things that we would be refreshed in and be encouraged by and strengthened by and emboldened by and empowered by for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As my dad and uh, his siblings were preparing for the farm sale for uh, their parents, my grandparents, they were going through the house and they were going through all of the drawers and they were going through all of the closets and they were going through all of the, uh, the pockets and all of the apparel that was hanging up and they found several $100 bills. Um, now you must understand that my grandparents lived through the Depression uh, my grandpa knew a man who uh, walked into the bank after selling a, a load of livestock with a check, deposited his check in the bank, walked out the bank, and before he could, almost before he could get out of the bank, they, they, they locked the doors behind him and closed the bank. And so when they found all this money, not like it wasn't like thousands and thousands of dollars, but it was several hundred dollar bills, and they were like, whoa, we didn't know that there was this money here you know they, they weren't greedy but they were just like encouraged and, and celebrated that they had stuff they didn't realize and uh, the, the, our heavenly father has given us stuff we don't realize he's given us treasures that are richer and more eternal than the hundred dollar bills that we often fail to accept and understand by virtue these treasures come to us by virtue of our salvation by virtue of who we are in Christ. And these treasures are important. They're important sources, resources for us as believers because in the world we're being, we're being bombarded in, by the culture, you know, a hostile culture. And we're trying to maintain doctrinal integrity in the church of Jesus Christ in a world where, you know, church after church is kind of abandoning the truth of the word of God and, and going their own way. And so these things are helpful, these resources. And they're stuff that we should rejoice in. And they're, they're, they're things that we should draw upon in order to live godly lives. And so as we turn to Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 23, we see in Paul's prayer three steps to apprehending and appreciating the treasures we have in our salvation. Steps that will help us, I think, appreciate, but also, first of all, apprehend what it means to be in Christ and how that should impact our lives. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. If you need to reach under the seat in front of you, grab it or get your phone or device there, that, that's great. But in, in this text... Paul says, for this reason I also, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, he says, which, that which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, Ooh, your love for all the saints, he says, do not cease giving thanks for you because of your, this, this, uh, your faith in the Lord Jesus your faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of glory may grant you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you might know what, what, what you want to know. He says that you might know what are the, 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 the enlightened, so that you may know what are, is the hope of His calling, sorry, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And He has put all things in subjection under His feet. And he has given him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, which is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, sorry I stumbled over it a little bit, but I was trying to, I knew I had it, but I was trying to get it to you. Um, but this is a passage that, that Paul is pouring out his prayer to this church that he had hard, started, planted Back in, in Acts chapters 17, 18, 19, 19, and he had been there uh, in 19 and 20, and he had planted this church. He cared about these people. His heart is pouring out what he wants them to know. And we're going to unpack it as we see these three steps that he has that we could apprehend and appreciate all that we have in Jesus. And the first step is this. The treasures of our salvation are appreciated with praise and a promised prayer or a, an active prayer. Notice the text starts for this reason, which points us back to verses 3 through 14, which we just got done talking about, okay? And the blessings of being in Christ, upon which now he's going he's gonna to expand, all right? If you have the ESV, it says, for this reason, also because of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Again, so he's tying his, his reasoning for what he's about to say to their faith. Their faith in the Lord Jesus, which he's expounded on in verses 3 through 14. The riches of, of the blessings of what that, that is. And then he, he confirms that this faith is the reason he's speaking. And there's two facts about the faith. The faith. Notice it says in that. He says, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you. Well, how does he know what this faith is? He talks about this faith and the authenticity, the, the authenticity of that faith which precipitates his praise. The authenticity of his faith is in verse 15, which precipitates his praise, which is in verse 16. What's the authenticity based on? First of all, there's the object of authentic faith. Notice he says, having heard of, your, of the faith in the Lord Jesus. So that's the object. The faith is in the Lord Jesus, who is both divine, Lord, Master, and human, Jesus, all right? Making him both the sinless and perfect sacrifice for us. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. So it's faith only in the Lord Jesus... And only faith in the Lord Jesus, whereby we're saved. Faith only in the Lord Jesus, and only faith in the Lord Jesus. Well, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Luke says this, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. In John 14, 6, a very familiar passage, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So it matters what we believe in. I mean, I can believe that I can fly, but my faith is in, in, a, in a pretty bad object uh, in myself. But when we believe in Jesus, that's the only source of our salvation. So I question you this morning, have you personally waved the white flag of surrender to the sovereign king, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead because only then, then and only then 
are you truly saved from your sins? And given all the blessings that Paul has talked about in verses 3 through 14. And what he's about to talk about in verses 15 through 23. Genuine faith surrenders fully to the Lord, giving him control over every aspect of our life. You know, it, it amazes me how people who profess to know Jesus, and then there are certain aspects of their life, they say, well, I'm just, you know, that's not really for God. Now, I quoted uh, a church father who said that he believed that Jesus says, all of it's mine. And I believe that it is all his. That means my finances, my thoughts, my attitudes, my ears, my eyes, my feet, my hands, every part of me, every part of my thoughts, all of my being, every possession is his. If I submit to Jesus as Lord, Lord Jesus. It isn't interesting that Paul said that. He didn't just say, oh, you believe in Jesus. He said to believe you have faith in the, your, the faith in the Lord Jesus. He is Lord of all. But now, hey, I also understand that believers aren't perfect, right? So uh, we sometimes get off track. Sometimes we make mistakes. And we're always growing in our full understanding of what it means for him to be the Lord. We, when we come to faith in Christ, we must believe that he is Lord and Master, but we grow in our understanding of that. I don't know about you, but I have a better understanding of what it means for Jesus to be Lord than the time, the first time that I put my faith or my trust in Christ. Just like I have a way better appreciation for what it means to be a parent now than I ever did. I mean, I'm looking back at what my parents did, and I'm going, wow, I was really a knucklehead. I mean, my parents are so smart and so gracious and so generous and so forgiving now, way more than they were when I was 16. It's like, I thought the world revolved around me. And they're going, and then then I'm looking at, now I got adult kids, adult children, and I'm going, they haven't a clue. You know, but they're learning. You know, someday, you know, isn't it interesting, the older we get, the smarter our parents become. Uh, Now, they aren't all great parents, but they they got smarter. So this is the the object of our faith. Now, notice he says, he goes on to talk about the, the outcome of our faith. What I'm saying is, as we grow in our walk with God, we understand more fully what it means to submit entirely to the Lord in everything. That's just a growing process. Now, the outcome of authentic faith. You see, you know you have authentic faith, faith in the Lord Jesus, if there's fruit. And he talks about the fruit. For this reason I also, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, do not cease, and, and, your, and, and, and your love for all the saints, that's it, and your love for all the saints. That's the evidence. Love for the saints is the hallmark of genuine faith. Um, Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, 35, By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Right? Uh, in 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10, uh, John says this, The one who says that he is in the light and yet hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother and sister remains in the light. There is nothing in him to cause stumbling. See, uh, and if you, we looked at uh, 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8, which you're not going to see on the screen, but you can write it down. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who loves not knows not God. Why? Because God is love. If we love our brothers... For whom Christ died, and we are to love them as Christ loved them and as Christ loved us. And we're going to get to that in Ephesians 5, uh, verses 1 and 2, but that's the calling. You know, uh, you, you can claim, and I'm not sure very many people here would, but claim that you're a UNI football fan. University of Northern Iowa football fan, right? I'm a UNI fan. But if you've never been to a game and you don't know what their win-loss record is, you're a fake. You're not a fan. You're not a fan. And if we claim to know Jesus, but there's no love for our brothers, then we're a fake. Um, real, real Christians believe in Jesus and behave like Jesus. Now, perfectly, no. All the time, no. 
Again, we're in process. We're, we're progressing. But there has to be some, some sort of evidence. And love is an attitude that moves us to genuine and sacrificial caring and service and generosity towards other pe- people and mercy. Uh, when when uh, I took the job here at Creekside Church, um, Dwayne and Karen McFadden opened their home because I didn't have a place to stay and my, my daughter and my wife were staying back in, in Albert City while I was in, in transition here for about nine months. And we lived, I lived, and then when Marla came down on weekends and if Shara came down, we lived in the basement of the McFadden home for nine months. Love. Generous, sacrificial, gracious giving of which I was the recipient in my family. A testimony of their authentic faith. And authentic faith prompted Paul's praise. For this reason, your faith and your love for all the saints, that, that lot of things, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. His gratitude for their being redeemed people and for him knowing those people. I think about it, think about it. Do you know any redeemed people? Do you know any believers for whom you are thankful that they are redeemed and you know them? Absolutely. And for many of us, those are people for whom we're constantly, now it doesn't mean every moment of every day, but on a regular basis, thankful for them and we're praying for them. Do we tell them? Do we tell him? That's what Paul's doing. I mean, he's in prison. Oh, so he has a lot of time, right? Yeah, he's got all the time to think and write. But he's thinking about the people that he loves and their salvation and what that means to him and the fact that he knows them and then he's sharing that with them. And what do you think that would mean to them? What would it mean to you? Hey, I just wanted you to know that I thank God all the time for you. And, and, and I'm praying for you. I mean, I don't know of any more encouraging words that, that I could hear as a believer in Christ from a sincere heart. And so we see here that the treasures of our salvation, he appreciates them and he shares it with praise and with prayer. And then the treasures of our salvation are articulated in prayer. Uh, Chad, I, I skipped over 1 Thessalonians 1.12, that's okay. Or one, two, that's good. So number two, the the treasures of our salvation are articulated in prayer. He begins the prayer officially in verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. That's to whom he's praying. That's the, the resource that he's drawing upon. The one who is responsible for all of the treasures that he's going to articulate are our possession. But he wants us to apprehend it. And then appreciate it. On a few occasions, I have called up Jim Kern. Now, Jim Kern and, and Teresa come to Creekside Church, and Jim is a, a mechanic. And, and ask him on behalf of my daughters if he would look at their car or their vehicle because they were having problems. And we've taken. Now, why would I ask Jim Kern? And instead of uh, somebody else, I'm not going to name anybody, who, who's uh, like an IT person, you know, or an artist, you know. Hey, would you look at my daughter's car? Well, I'll look at it. Yeah, it looks pretty. You know? No, I want you to fix it. I call upon the person who has the power to do something about my problem or my situation. And so Paul says, I, I'm praying to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you're saying, whoa, wait a second. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory. I think, now there's a lot in there. You say, well, God, the God and the God of Jesus who is God. How's that work? You tell me. No, I think the answer is that in his humanity, Jesus 
referred to God the Father as God and His Father. In His humanity, He had a God and He had a Father. And we see this in Matthew chapter, uh, or I see John chapter 20, uh, verse 17. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but to go to my, uh, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. In His humanity, He's appealing to God as His Father, who is His heavenly Father, and then he is also appealing him as, as someone who is human. He, he has, a, has a God like we do. And we see it in Romans chapter 15, verse 6 as well. Uh, so, that one perp- so that with one purpose and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I see this text, the God and Father of our, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, as this. It's, it's acknowledging the distinct persons of God the Father, and God the incarnate Son in the Godhead, all right? While affirming that they have the same divine nature. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Still Lord, see? And the Father of glory. So Jesus is, in his humanity, he is considered the Son of God. We see this in his baptism in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. We see it in his transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. When the Father breaks into the silence of the world and he says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. But we also have Jesus in his divinity saying in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. So in here, in this text, we have an acknowledgement of their distinct roles within the Godhead, but also of their same essential divine nature. So then we move on. The Father of glory. What does that mean? He's the Father of glory. It's, he's, the, he's the preeminent place as the source from whom glory originates and then disseminates. He's the Father of glory. In, uh, in Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, uh, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. And the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. No place in all the universe where the glory of God is not seen. But He's also the glory of the Son. In John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Son has glory, but that glory is the same as the Father's glory. Samuel Adams is considered to be the father of the American Revolution, from whose hand it originated and from whose hand it disseminated. Now, not entirely, but... He's considered to be the God. God, the Father, is the originator of glory. He's the disseminator of glory. But get this, He is also the primary recipient of glory. We saw this in chapter 1, remember? Verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14. The grace of the glory, to the grace of the glory of God. To the grace of His glory. To the grace of, to, to, to bring God glory. That's, the point, he is the originator of glory, he is the disseminator of glory, he is the primary recipient of glory. We see this in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created. Why? You created all things. He is the creator and he is deserving of it. And Paul appealed to the God who sent the Son, who redeemed us through the Son, and sealed our inheritance in the Son, and who made us sons to act on behalf of His people. So that we would realize that we rejoice in, and that we would rest in the treasure, now get this, we already possess. See the $100 bills that were in the clothes and stuff, they, were, they belonged to the heirs. They just didn't know it. We have treasure that we often just don't realize. We don't rejoice in it and we don't rest in it. And that's the stuff that Paul is praying that God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would reveal to us. And it requires His revealing. 
that's the point of what comes next. That he would grant you the spirit of revelation. So there's at least two realms of enlightenment. And the first one is conceptual. It, I, I, I don't know how, I just maybe that's not the right word, but it is like uh, kind of a, a broad understanding of spiritual enlightenment. That he would grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Um, an attitude, spirit here is a small s, uh, the attitude, an attitude reflecting a fuller knowledge of God, okay, a fuller knowledge of God, of God's truth, which is wisdom, spirit of wisdom, an attitude that reflects a fuller knowledge of God's truth, which is wisdom, all right, and that's what he wants, that's, that's available, now who's it available to? This fuller knowledge, this attitude which results in a fuller knowledge of God's truth, wisdom, is available only to the redeemed mind through the Spirit. And you say, well, are you just making this stuff up? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 11. Uh, do we have that one, Chad? No. Okay. Well, you've got a Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says this, 1 Corinthians 2... I'm yeah, 1 Corinthians, not 1, 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 11. Uh, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen nor ear heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God, now get this, to us, who's us? Redeemed people, believers. He says, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. And so the Spirit of God reveals them to us. He grant them a spirit of wisdom. An attitude of understanding truth and in, in, in the revelation of God. So the, the knowledge is the truth that's been revealed and the revelation of it is the impartation of that truth to us. And so the knowledge is imparted. He's praying that God would open our eyes so that we could see the truth that God has and it would be revealed to us and we would accept it. The eyes of your heart, now we say the eyes of our heart, you think, oh, it's his heart. No, in the, in the first century and in, in ancient Hebrew and Greek, the idea of the heart was the mind and the will the conscious, that he would reveal it to our consciousness and to our mind and our will that we would understand it. The focus here is not on our emotions. The focus here is on our intellect. He would inform our intellect, not inflame our emotions because our emotions must be informed by our intellect, not the other way around. Our emotions don't drive the train. Our mind drives the train. And our emotions are subject to our mind. And so he wants us to do that. He says, I think, he's just basically saying that our eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. It's spiritual cataract surgery. Okay? There's truth there. You can see it, but it's, you're blinded. And so spiritually, you've got to remove the cloudiness so we can see it. And so that's what he's praying. Paul asked for the minds to be informed so we might see the resources, the riches, the treasure that has been granted to us and grasp its reality so that we can live victoriously in a world that is slamming us culturally and challenging us within the church to be for division and, and hostility. And so he wants us to live victoriously. The eyes of my dad and his siblings were opened to the fact that they had treasures that they didn't know about. And that's what God wants. You see... We don't need more of Jesus. We've got all of Jesus we need. We just don't understand all of what it means that we have Jesus. And Paul's praying for them. He's praying for us. And we should pray for each other that God would open to us, that we would understand all that we have in Jesus because in Christ we are, as Paul says in Colossians 2, verse 10, complete. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him lacking nothing now I don't know about you but I feel like I'm pretty deficient most days but we don't lack it 
We have nothing. So that's the, the conceptual idea. Now the concrete application of it, the concrete things for which he's praying, is what we consider the, the content of his prayer. I like the way John MacArthur summarizes the, the, what Paul is asking for them. He, he basically says that Paul is asking for them for true comprehension and appreciation of who they are in Jesus Christ. Fully comprehend and then appreciate who we are in Christ. And so what marvelous resources has God given us that he wants us to know, wants us to apprehend and appreciate so that we can live victoriously? Well, there are three, basically. And first one is to know hope. The ESV says, puts it this way, the hope to which, you, the hope to which he called you. The hope to which he called you. Now, hope is confidence. Okay? You hope in something, you have confidence in it. So he wants them to be confident, to know with confidence what? What he's just talked to them about in verses 3 through 14. He wants them to be confident in their election. In that God's choice of them. He wants them to be confident in their adoption as sons. He wants them to be comp- uh, confident in their adoption and redemption and forgiveness. And the new life that they have. And the eternal inheritance and glory that's waiting for them that we live now in light of eternity we don't live now this is not the end it's only we're only passing through as a, uh, I think there was a Annie Brumley or something wrote a wrote a hymn the, or a poem the, uh, the world is not my home I'm only passing through there is a, a, a place awaiting me way beyond the blue or something like that okay it's like yeah we're here now but this is not it. it it's, it's there waiting for us. So we have all these things, and he wants us to know the treasure of it. See, today, the world is crazy. Morality, the degeneracy, degeneracy is like on the rise, right? World hostility is increasing, right? We're talking about possibility of nuclear strikes. Financially, you know, boom. Things dropped out, the bottom of it. It's like, and in the church of Jesus Christ, we've got people denying. I, I read something just yesterday about somebody who was declaring that Jesus Christ did not die on the cross to f- deliver us from God's wrath. That's heresy. He absolutely died on the cross to deliver us from God's wrath. But this is somebody who wants to say that they're, you know, like, got a new insight okay they may have a that's not a new one but it's not a right one and this is the stuff and so only 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 in comprehending that our lives are rooted in eternity past election adoption redemption forgiveness and secure in the present and guaranteed in the future will we have the right perspective on all this stuff will we have the 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 right Motives for engaging and interacting with acting with people. Will we have the right purpose to live for? Will we be able to live in the right way only when we comprehend, apprehend, and appreciate all that we have in Jesus? Will we be able to live as those with a living hope? As Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse, 17, uh, verse 3, that we have been called to a living hope. It's living, it's now, it's not for, but it continues on. Grasping the hope to which we have been called as citizens of heaven is the key to holy living now and holy obedience. First Peter, you can write it down. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. And you can look at this one. I think we have it in Titus chapter 2, verses 11, 12, 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously In godly, in this present age, what? Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We live now in light of eternity. And Paul says, I want you to open their eyes of their understanding, their heart, that they would see that that they have this hope. It is certain, it is sure. The hope to which he has called you is not questionable. Secondly, to know riches. Now, the, I'm gonna, again, the ESV, I think, gives the best translation of the sense of it. The riches 
of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, we talked about in verses 11 through 14 that believers have a rich inheritance in Jesus. Now and, and in eternity, it's incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in We have a rich inheritance that we're waiting for. But now, the text says here, I think, that we are God's rich inheritance. Now, I'm not, you know, some good commentators disagree with me. So I want you to know that. Because some would say this still just means that we have we are the heirs. Here it seems to say, I think, that God is here. It says, His inheritance in the saints. Okay? Uh, I brought this this morning. This is a, a rocking chair for those who are not aware of it. Um, this rocking chair was my great-grandfather's rocking chair. And I, my middle name is, I'm named after my great-grandfather. This is one of the, the riches of my inheritance because it means a lot to me. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are part of God's rich inheritance. We are God's rich inheritance, I think, according to this text. We are God's rich inheritance, which means... We're extremely valued by God. Now, understand, there's, a, there's some implications, and I have three that I'm going to share with you that I think come from this. Three implications of our being God's rich inheritance is that, first of all, humility. Because we are God's highly valued inheritance because we are in Christ by virtue of the high price Christ paid for us. Not because of us. So it's not about me. It's not about running around, yeah, I'm God's rich inheritance, you know. Uh, look at me. No. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 reminds us, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. As a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. In Christ I stand as God's rich inheritance. And in no other sense and in no other way and for no other reason. And for that I say, why me? How can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? How? Because of His gracious choice. That's it. So, security is the second one. Security. When life pummels us and, and life pains us, when you're, when you're playing injured, uh, you know, um, and you, you're not all about yourself and you know that things are not quite right, uh, or you're, you're just pummeled by life, we're still His glorious inheritance. That doesn't change. That doesn't change. Think about this. How many of you have like a, a silver set that you receive from a parent, grandparent? You know, some of you have these silver sets, right? And, and they sit around in the cabinets because you never use them because they're precious and you don't want to, you know, damage the precious stuff. And then it starts turning green. And it tarnishes. And so what do you do? You get the abrasive cleaner out and you rub it and scrub and, and make it look pretty again, Right? Well, think about that. We are God. Why do you do that? You do it because you don't like that stuff? No. So when God gets his abrasive cleaner out, and, and there's discouragement in our life, there's testing in our life, there's discipline in our life, he, he's not trying to destroy us. He's not trying to damage us. He's not trying to get rid of us. He loves us. We're his inheritance. You know, he's trying to disinfect and discipline us sometimes. And, uh, and he doesn't want to discard us. So there is humility. There's a sense of security. And then there's this idea of community. We should value what God values. If you are God's rich inheritance, then I better not trash you. What does that, I mean, what does that say about my view of God if I don't care about what God cares about? 
And so it impacts the way we, we should be caring for each other, encouraging each other, and supporting each other. So there is, he wants us to know hope. He wants us to know riches. He wants us to know power. Now, as you read through the text, try to get a sense of how Paul is tripping over himself to communicate the, the greatness of God's power. And what is the surpassing greatness of his dynamite? That's the Greek for word from which we get our English word. Dynamite is the word that's translated power here. The surpassing greatness. We means over and above greatness of his power that he, that he has. The immeasurable power from God that is given to whom? That you might know what is the surpassing greatness of his power that's coming? No. That you already have. To us who believe. This is power towards us who believe. It is power to us. That means it is power that is already given. It's all the power that's needed. There is no other addition to the power necessary and it's power for what it's power to be his witnesses Acts chapter 1 8 it's power to be like Jesus Philippians chapter uh, 2 verse 13 he's at work in you we're at work and he's at work you know Ephesians, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I, he began a good work and he will perform it to the day of Christ Jesus. He's got the power. The power is in us. The power is towards us. It's for us to be his witnesses, us to be like Jesus, us to be content. Paul says, I have learned in whatever circumstance I am therein to be content. I have the power to be content in Christ. I have the power to encourage others in their faith. Paul says it in the end of Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and instructing every man with all wisdom that, that we might present every man complete in Christ. And this is according to the power that's working in us. We have power to pray. We have power to battle the darkness, that, that the spiritual darkness that presses in on us. Ephesians chapter 6. We have power. We have power to suffer in Christ's name. I had a professor in seminary, and he, uh, after, well, while I was there, he moved to another seminary out in California. And when he was at that seminary, he contracted terminal cancer. And in the chapel of that seminary, I read the transcript of what he said, and this is kind of a summary of it. He said in that summary, he said, while I was... All up to this point, I've, I've tried to teach my sons, he had two boys, how to live well in Christ. Now I want to show them how to die well. Power to suffer. And Christ gives us this power. There is no lack of it. Marvelous resources that are ours in Jesus. Hope that is sure. A richest of, of an inheritance that is ours. And power that God is directing towards us and in us and through us for His glory and the gain of His kingdom. And then that He does this according to the working, the energy of the strength of His might. <laughs> uh, so whose strength and whose might? God's strength and, and, and God's might. Indomitable, insurmountable strength that works to guarantee these treasures are truly ours. So we have the treasure is, is there's this, this, this articulated treasure in the prayer. And finally, we see the treasures of our salvation are assured with this power. He doesn't stop there. Verse 19 goes on. These are in accordance, okay? And so then he lives, lists four demonstrations of this power to confirm that he's the one who gave them, he's the one who secures them, and he's the one who will not back out of them. Okay, and what are they? Four demonstrations of the power for our acquisition, our apprehension, and our appreciation of the treasures we have in Christ. First, he raised Christ from the dead. I didn't, that's what the text says. Which he brought about, verse 20, 
in Christ when he raised him from the dead. His resurrection is the basis of our salvation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, if, we are, if there is no resurrection, we're in verses 12 through 17, we're still in our sin. But Christ did rise from the dead, verse 20 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. So our salvation is secure. Secondly, it serves as the basis, and he secures our resurrection. If Christ rose from the dead, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is going to raise us from the dead. Romans chapter 6, you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Verse 20, the last part of it, he says he's the first fruits. Well, you know what that means. If there's first fruits, he's the first, there's coming after. So he has the power to raise us. Not only does it, it serve as a basis of our salvation, secure our resurrection, but it's the same power that supplies us with power for living. If we have been united with Christ in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that the old self has been crucified, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. Power for living. Because of the resurrection. It's the resurrection power is in us. That's what he says. Uh, my dad, I think I've told you maybe, my dad had a friend, uh, Richard Mites. Richard was 6'5", about uh, 285. And uh, 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 one day... Uh, they went to the sale barn and they brought home a 700-pound steer and had it in the back of the pickup. And Richard went in there and uh, he, he put a holder on this 700-pound steer and uh, then he told my dad to open the gate. And my dad opened the gate and Richard uh, broke that steer to lead right there in the pasture uh, in about uh, 10 minutes. And that demonstration of power gave my dad confidence that when he and Richard were at a farm sale and some guy blocked my dad's way and wouldn't let him out, that my dad said, hey, Richard, would you go ask this guy to move? Dad had every confidence in the world that Richard would get the job done. Christ's resurrection assures us that we are in Christ with all of these riches and treasures and they can never be taken away he seated him at at his right hand in the heavenly places seated him and we talked about this in Hebrews that means his work is done he sacrificed you know the 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 priests are always sacrificing they never sit down oh Jesus sat down because the sacrifices are over and he's seated at the right hand of God the place of honor and power He's ruling there at the right hand. Now think about this. This is what gets me. Our exalted, our empathetic high priest, and our empowered high priest, Jesus, is our Savior who is seated at the right hand of God. He is mighty, and He is majestic, and He is our ally, not our adversary. He's on our team. I mean, you know, it's like you see these, these uh, everybody's, uh, I've seen this on uh, social media. Everybody's like, Brees Hall, you know, he's like four times out of the seven weeks of the NFL. He's the rookie of the week. And I think, well, praise God. And we like to identify, if, if you're uh, the people who are Cyclone fans, they like to identify because that makes them feel like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm part of Brees Hall. You know, I'm, 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 I'm with him. You know, I'm part of the team. If you're in Jesus, you're part of Christ's team. And there he sits on the throne next to God in his right hand with all the power, all the authority of the risen Christ. And he is on our team. He's empathizing with us. He's empowered by God and, and himself. And he is able to do it. He's seated there for a reason. And then uh, the text goes on to, to help us understand that a little better. That he has absolute supernatural authority as he sits there. Notice the text says, he's, he's seated on the right hand of the throne, of, of the right hand of God in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. A collective of terms that has a, a reference to the power of cosmic forces. This is, uh, he's far above all supernatural authority and power. That's what it means. Christ's power, which secures our inheritance 
and supplies our diligence as we're here on the earth cannot be thwarted or vanquished because he's far above. Satan and all of his demonic forces and all of the forces of the world, the devil, and the flesh. And all of these seek to destroy us. But we're one with the victor. Okay? Um, my friend had a, a Chevy SS Nova, a 350cc uh, um, four barrel. I had a 289 two barrel Mustang. His engine was far above my engine. Okay? That's all I'm going there. Um, I'm not going to go any further, but it was far above. Jesus Christ is far above every spiritual force that is arrayed against us. And not only that, the text continues, he's far above all names, every name that is named. In this age and the age, and that one is to come. So every spiritual force he's in charge of, every human force he's in charge of, he's far above them. There's, there's nothing that, that can be there, all right? So his perpetual authority is, is everywhere. Not, and it doesn't limit. It's not just now, but it's forever, all right? And he's above all the, the forces, everyone and everything. And then he trumps it. He kind of like punctuates it at the end. And he put all things under all things. Not just the spiritual forces of evil, not just the human forces, the names and every name, but everything, which includes everything. All means all, and that's all all means. All things are subject to him. Satan is subject to him. Satan's demons are subject to him. The angels are subject to him. Every human being, saved and unsaved, is subject to him. Every world ruler is subject to him. Every jurisdiction is subject to him. Those which are seen, World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, uh, Government of Venezuela. You know, I mean, you pick out your jurisdiction, whatever it might be, uh, State of Iowa, uh, United States, all of those. He's above all of them. Everything is under his control. And then finally, he made Christ as head of the church. Now, this is a very complicated phrase, and I'm not going to go into all of it. Commentators spend a lot of ink on what this means. I'm going to give you my take on it, and it, it may not be correct, but it is an acceptable uh, perspective, and I think it makes sense to me. He's head of the church. He is the head over all things to the church. So he's, he's the ruler over us. But not just the ruler over us, he's the ruler with us. He's one with us. He's guiding us. He's filling us with his power to accomplish his purposes. All right? Purposes in our triumphs, in our tragedies, and in our troubles. He's still supreme over them all. And we are one body. It says, it says his body, the church, who fills all in all. We're his body. So that means we're connected to each other and we're connected to him. So that means we have a relationship with each other that should matter. And it should change the way we, we, we live. We should work together to promote unity and to encourage each other to maturity in Christ. And now what does it mean that the church is the fullness of Christ who fills all in all? Uh, my take on it is this, that Christ fills the church which is his body, and as he fills the church, he fills all things, and then we reflect that fullness to the world. The fuller we are of Jesus, again, we don't need more of Jesus, if we need a more understanding of what we have in Jesus, and as we grow in that, then we reflect more accurately who Jesus is to a lost and dying world. Now, Paul prays that we might fully apprehend and appreciate all that we have in Christ, Folks, our hope is unshakable. Our riches, our inheritance, and his inheritance, it's remarkable, tremendous. And his power is unconquerable. The power that strengthens and sustains us right now and the power that secures our future with him in glory. It's not conquerable. We are victorious over our foes. We are not vanquished. We're victorious forever. O oh, victory 
in Jesus, my Savior forever. That's the song of the redeemed. And as we, as we break this bread and as we take the juice, we're remembering what it cost our Lord to make it true for us to have such a treasure. And so I invite you to take some time and thank the Lord for what he's done for you and to reflect upon the treasure you have in Christ as you prepare to come. If you're a believer in the Lord, you're welcome to come and take the bread and the cup. And I ask you to do that in the next few moments. Let's pray. His pain is our gain by faith in Christ. Father in heaven, thank you, thank you, thank you for Paul's rich truths that are your truths. I pray that you would drive them home to my heart and to each of our hearts, that we might apprehend and appreciate all of who we are in Jesus so that we can live victoriously for you, we pray in Jesus' name.